This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell, and joining me in the studio today are the Toledo Symphony's music director, Elaine Trudell. We also have the TSO president and CEO, Zach Vassar, and principal second violin and artistic administrator, Merwin Sue. Welcome to you three gentlemen. Thank you. Good to have you here in the studio. <laughs> Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about a concert that's happening on Friday and Saturday. It's April 14th and 15th, 8 o'clock p.m. at the Toledo Museum of Art Paris style. This is a a program that is really interesting, and it has two really powerhouse pieces on it. The Piano Concerto No. 1 by Pyotr Tchaikovsky and the Symphony No. 5 by Dmitry Shostakovich. Now, the piano soloist is John Kimura Parker, and I'm going to talk with him in a little bit. Uh, And we'll have our questions for him, and we'll talk about him. But before we do all that, I want to get to Shostakovich, because (sighs) we have the conductor right here in the studio, (laughs) Elaine Trudell. Hello. (laughs) I don't know if I have a sound effect for Shostakovich. I think it's whatever Elaine just did. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. Because that kind of is appropriate for the weight of this piece. I, I do have this. That is not right. <laughs> no, no, no. Is that right for Shostakovich? No. No. It should be like a woo. Okay. Like scary music. <laughs> it's, not, it's not scary. It's just it's it's, Airy. it's eerie and intense. Airy. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. let's right. talk about the Symphony Number no. Five in mm-hmm. D Minor by Piotr <laughs> Piotr Tchaikovsky by That's by Dmitri Shostakovich. I almost said Pyotr Shostakovich. I know. That would be a great name. So what the... what are we, what, which piece are we talking about? Okay, Very let's talk is... about Shostakovich okay. now that okay. we're all on the same page, yes. right? I'm going to turn it over to you, Elaine. Give us a little intro, like if you were talking one-on-one with somebody who had never heard the music of Dmitri Shostakovich, what would you say? I would say that, well, since Beethoven... There hasn't been a composer that talks directly, frankly, without any intermediate uh, from one person to another, directly to you, from him to you. And uh, if, I, if I'd have to start um, a young teenager on, uh, you know, symphony music, like how, how they would like symphony music, I would put that piece and they'd be hooked for life. Well, yeah. This is one of the greatest symphonies ever. And it's... Uh, it's just like an addictive <laughs> for me. It's a, after after Mahler and Beethoven is my favorite composer. Well, uh, I, I mean that's yeah that's been evidenced by some of the music that you have written yourself yeah. that has been influenced a little bit by yeah. by Shostakovich. Let's talk about Shostakovich the the person first of all because yeah. this was an astonishing uh, astonishing talent mm-hmm. and and the music that he wrote may not be as well known as, you know, Mozart and Beethoven and all that, but it is fantastic and a whole new world to anybody who is not familiar with. And this is a great introduction Absolutely. to Shostakovich. Oh, yeah. As the, uh, the Fifth Symphony is the best yeah. introduction you could have uh, to Shostakovich. Um, so Shostakovich, uh, incredible talent as a composer, of course. Uh, there are different periods of, uh, of his life that and the compositions they go with those periods. For example, until uh, the fourth symphony, until uh, Lady Macbeth is opera, Lady Macbeth of the Minx uh, district, this is one period. And this is the period of the, we almost want to say the real Shostakovich, hmm. because he was um, 
nobody was uh, controlling him. And I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate on it a little bit. So you have to imagine something. You go to the conservatory or you go to a school, whatever school you are, and your final paper on your, uh, on your concours or on your, uh, on your exam is, was his first symphony. That was his, that was his test piece. That was the piece uh-huh. he wrote for, for the end of his studies. Yeah. Well, you have to think about it. A hundred years later, it has not been altered by one note and it's still in the standard repertoire. Yeah. So this and it's not the typical first symphony. It's very elaborate and has influences everywhere. I mean, one of the reasons I I think I love Shostakovich so much is that the it's so human. Yeah, it had so much suffering. Uh, and he was born in a time where everything changed. You know, and they went from the you know from being uh, from Russia to the Soviet Union and having all these rules, all these things. And, and he felt he was free to compose. So he composed that fourth symphony. It's unbelievable, but it's not the first thing you should <laughs> listen to. So, and then he writes this opera, Lady Macbeth, in uh, 1936. And then the newspaper, which is called the Pravda. Pravda means the truth. Yeah, right. <laughs> so which you know, of course. But um, and, and really destroys it. Said, this is music for the elite. This is not music for the people. This is, Because now we're really having to style it. So the Pravda destroys his, his opera, Lady Macbeth, because, you know, it has a... Is the story of a prostitute, right? So it's something that is, oh, it's not for the people. And it's a, but you know, opera, there's all kinds of story in opera and they're all things that, that extrapolate, right? So, yeah. but it was not accepted and especially from the party and from the people in power. So basically what they had were people judging composers, judging artists, judging writers, judging everybody. All the people were judging that were friends of the party, but there were the least talented people of the country that formed this committee and, yeah. and that decided what was good, what was not good. And they were like doing personal vendettas and things like that. But the problem with that is not, it's not like if you have a bad review in the paper now. If you have a bad review, I mean, you know, it's it's really bad, but you get over it, you know. But for him, it's like it's dangerous for his life. Right. Uh, right. So we, we have to think that, that he lived in another era and another kind of regime. And Put so, it in context. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he went from creating, creating, creating effervescence, and all of a sudden to be a, par- a pariah. That's what you say, right? Yeah. Uh, a, a pariah. And and not having concerts, nothing, the entire year. And, and he had to find a way out of it. That's when he writes this fifth symphony, which basically he writes um, he writes pretty much what he wants, but he finishes with this this ending, which is basically in D major for about five minutes, if you do the right tempo, <laughs> that, <Yeah. because> some <laughs> people, which I will not reveal now because I know there are different tempos that people <laughs> do in this, but. This this ending is basically pom 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 pom. It's like the opening of of the fourth movement of uh, Beethoven's fifth, right? Yeah. Uh, and and it, it it it's like a hammer, always getting there. Like happy happy music. I agree. Let, you know, let me back in. I agree with everything you say. That's great. And and finally, after he did that symphony, he's very he became very ironic, right? Uh, and and everybody said yes. This is the real. This is what he can do. He's a composer of the people now. Uh-huh. And then the doors open again. And then of course the war. Yeah. So he gets into Second World War, and he wants to be. Uh, you have to think Shostakovich is a pretty frail person, like physically, but he wanted to fight in the war. Yeah. And everybody said, "Don't fight your national treasure." And, <laughs> and he went on top of the conservatory. And uh, well, it wasn't Saint Petersburg then. It wasn't uh, Leningrad. It was Stalingrad, right? Mm-hmm. By then. And he's on the roof 
trying to be the help the firefighters and stuff like that. They said, you go back there. So he writes this, this the other symphony, which 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 should be the second one that people hear from just like the seventh, because oh. it's the there's a set of war symphonies seven eight nine, uh, and the, that one is really well known because it was it was smuggled by microfilm in the U.S. and it was played uh, in the U.S. It was played in Philadelphia. It was played, uh, and and the premiere was here and it was played there and it became kind of. Uh, 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 how do you say uh, a cry of relevant for for for, for everybody yeah. to yeah. that for the entire world? That so it was known. The eighth is about atrocities of the war, and the the ninth symphony that he wrote. So Stalin said, "You're gonna write your ninth symphony." He's thinking <laughs> Beethoven is yeah. to the glory of this, and he writes this chamber music piece <laughs> with almost no brass. Right. And it's, so he he went into this uh, period, and then we enter a period where he writes his name everywhere. So the affirmation of self. Mm. His name is Dmitri. Shostakovich, so D for Dimitri and S C H. So it's like when you hear music by Bach, you know, B flat A, uh, right, C H. Right, right. So th those are the German notes, you know. The, the notes, yeah. So S and uh, in German is E flat, D is D. Yeah. Uh, no, sorry, D is D. E flat is S, uh, C, and H is is B natural. So pa 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 pa. And when you, you get to the 10th symphony in the eighth string quartet, it's just becoming like assertion that within it's a little bit everywhere. But the other thing is also is that he had to live almost a secret life for what he really thought. You could never really say what you were really thinking because you'd be sent to a gulag. They, mm. they sent you all expenses paid into this beautiful <laughs> vacation. <Wow. laughs> so like even in the, for example, in the 10th symphony, he had, he had this a student that he had fell, fell, fallen in love with and he wrote his name with different musical, mm -hmm. uh, un, unfortunately it was not, uh, how do you say, uh, mutual. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it stayed like that. But She that, didn't reciprocate yeah, his feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the 10th, I, 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 I'm going to change my mind, it's going to mm -hmm. be the 5th first, then the 10th, mm -hmm. then the 7th. <laughs> you should listen to. I would to. support that. Yeah, and, that, and then you go into a period where he, he write, it gets darker and darker until the 14th, and then the 15th is a retrospective of, of symphonic yeah. repertoire. So, but the fifth, as all these codes already, the fifth is the one that got him back to come to, to, to being accepted and that not launched, but relaunched the rest of his career. So he was able to be played. And there's all kinds of codes in it because it talks, uh, the, the, there's a big Carmen quote in it, right? La mu, la mu <laughs> in it. And you have to think about it because it's right after the opera that talks about, uh, Lady Macbeth. Yeah. And then he's, he's, he puts that in it. So he's basically kind of, uh, how do you say when you do this? That's yeah, thumbing his nose. Thumbing his nose at yeah. the authorities. But at the same time, he knows he's trying to get away with, with it by this big finale. So there's so much psychological things that go into it. But at the same time, there's so much just grit, human grit, getting through, being, you know, relentless and uh, yeah. being resourceful and in and, and, and face of adversity. Uh, so much information and so many interesting stories. You guys got all that? Yeah, I've been taking notes. <laughs> um, can we talk about the slow movement? It's one of the most stirring parts of the symphony, but I'm told in the uh, first performance, it, I mean, people are just openly weeping uh, the folk music that's in yeah, that. Made a connection, definitely. Well, you have to think, right, is that Shostakovich was feeling this way, but he wasn't the only one. It's like you know you so you you take melodies they know and you you change them, you harmonize them in a way. I mean it's very very poignant. It's very powerful, mm -hmm. and and not only powerful but you some in the middle of those melodies all of a sudden the basses go, 
you know and you really feel like it's like a stab you know with their and, instruments yeah with their, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay. it's, it's like a very very slow version of psycho <laughs> yeah right so right. but it, right in the middle of mm-hmm. the, the those melodies that are going it really it connected with the i think it connected with the people it connects with us it's like it was really for me the only composer i can compare humanly with is beethoven because mm. it, it it connects your all your hopes all your despair everything you connect as much in Jostakovich and sometimes more because it's a language we know a little bit more and it and the emotions are more like a uh, um, uh, fleur de poire uh, your heart's on the sleeve yeah, that, yeah. Right, at the, yeah. right there yeah so that uh-huh. that really that that really speaks to you the first degree even it's like oh wow yeah so that's and a movement like that then he really uh, he went as far as he could with the despair so mm-hmm. that's why he wrote that fourth movement mm-hmm. that that was a celebration and i i can't remember exactly the quote maybe you guys remember it's a humble artist uh, comment uh, what, do yeah. you remember what it is that appears on symphony lab or no <laughs> <laughs> no it's uh like uh, an artist's just response to criticism, creative criticism. Or, or creative, cr- yeah, yeah. Or just criticism. Yeah. So that's the cre- sub- Yes, an artist's creative response to just criticism. So that's, that's the, yeah, that's the subtitle yeah. of the symphony. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, it's, it's one of, I think one of the things that you said that's so important is that I think me, and definitely since Beethoven, and when you think about great composers like Bach or Mozart, a lot of times there's almost a deification of those composers. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like that with Shostakovich. Shostakovich is not superhuman. He's not a god. He is incredibly human. Mm-hmm. And that's so important. And there's it's very much a person speaking to a person with frailties and who's made mistakes and who is you know, desperately seeking connection. And for me, he's the composer that I most strongly empathize with. And yeah. yeah and it was, it was a little bit almost too on the nose. What Alain yeah. said about, well, if you want to get a teenager hooked forever, <laughs> yeah. on, uh, you know, and when I first discovered um, Shostakovich, I was, uh, I was in my mid teens and yeah. that was really the first time that I thought of becoming a career musician. Wow. Um, so it's ab- absolutely, I would 100% agree with that. <laughs> totally. Uh, what What is your experience, Zach? Because you mentioned that, you know, you were turned on to Shostakovich as yeah. a teenager. Um, my dad had the famous Bernstein New York mm. recording, um, which is hilariously recorded in Boston for some reason, <laughs> uh, late 50s. And... Um, he would talk about that as like a very pivotal, sorry, pivotal part of the Cold War, that this became a modern classic, mm. and it had to be performed by a New York uh, orchestra, right? Uh, and then there were pictures, of course, of uh, Bernstein taking the Philharmonic to uh, Soviet Union and 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 playing it, uh, playing Shostakovich's music, which was always odd that an American orchestra would have to go there to play the local tunes. So that itself was was fascinating to me. Um, But it honestly was a a mid-teens discovery for me as well. Um, And I remember I would would try to listen to the Fifth Symphony and there was something about the very opening notes which are very jarring. Uh, And you're just it, it, it's it's kind of like Beethoven's fifth. It doesn't quite 
it, it arrests you, yeah. but it you don't know where it's going. And then it tells a story. And uh, I think once I was able to settle in, kind of buckle in, uh, it was like watching uh, a movie in my mind. It, it just, it, it, yeah. it flattened you. Um, well, music it, yeah. uh, by Shostakovich kind of has lots of different meanings. It depends on who's listening to it, you know. And, and where you are in your life. I mean, yeah. there have been points when I've listened to this symphony or the 10th um, and had very different reactions mm-hmm. to it. Different recordings take you in different places. There are a lot of interpretive points for this symphony <clears throat> in particular. Uh, tempo markings, especially in the fourth movement, are controversial. Um, and... <laughs> <laughs> if only we could get a video of that, Elaine. <laughs> your reaction video. Is the to, truth. Yeah. So, um, but I, I guess the, um, if I can tie this for a moment over to the other work on this concert with the first piano concerto of Tchaikovsky, uh, Van Cliburn, around the same time that Bernstein's making this famous recording with mm. uh, New York, he was also winning the Tchaikovsky competition uh, on Russian soil. And having another Cold War thaw with Russian music and American musicians, so you you have to kind of unscramble that point in 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 a very critical part of world history and the role that music was able to make in brokering a little bit of cultural peace and exchange. Yeah, absolutely, it's a very good point. Well, you know, uh, Clyburn. Uh, I mean, I'm going to say something that might sound too big, but <laughs> if you put yourself in the the shoes of the regular Soviet person at the time, mm-hmm. which you have to think that art and music especially is so, so, so an integral part of their being. I mean, Clyburn winning this is almost as big as walking on the moon first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, you know, yeah. for for the, the, the just a regular person, I mean, some we think, no, it's just playing the piano, but the effect of it, yeah. you know, and having uh, the, the symphonies, Doing that, that I think this it's more the human, uh, um, uh, the human aspect of having the symphonies played by American orchestra, the microfilm of the seven. Yeah. That was, mm. but that was before the Cold War. Right, so, right, you know, right. So that there was come a bit of leftover. There was already a relationship existing with Shostakovich, especially within Philadelphia, uh, right. and like the best recording of the cello concerto, a mm-hmm. concerto of Philadelphia, and with Rostopovich yeah. and also Oshnaks. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh my god, that's an amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a life-changing about, recording yeah. for me. Can we talk about um, Shostakovich's endings? You mentioned, you know, the symphonies that people should listen to, and I particularly like the sixth symphony, Symphony mm-hmm. Number no. Six. And Shostakovich has kind of like this Berlioz thing going on, where he <laughs> occasionally goes off the rails, you know, with his music. Sometimes it's satire. Sometimes it's just. I think it's just for the sake of following the notes where they take you. I think it's a big influence for Mahler, actually, because yeah. it's the irony on it. Actually, is a huge Mahler fan. Uh, Shostakovich, mm-hmm. like his his goal was, a, you know, to write a symphony like Mahler would would write. And and you I'm know, a, I'm a little remiss here. How many times do you say Mahler? Uh, twice. Okay. I, I only said Thank Mahler you, twice. <laughs> There's another one. <laughs> it's going to be like Macbeth, you know, is the, the name we can't say in the theater or in the Otherwise, studio. we have a Pavlovian response. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
So um, you were saying, yes. <laughs> what was I saying? No, no. So <laughs> we're talking about those those movements. Like in Mahler, you hear like bands coming in, like you mm -hmm. know, marching band coming in, and that, and it has a particular. If you know a little bit the life of Mahler and his youth, and it's not necessarily something that's very positive. You know, there's a little bit of trauma, family mm -hmm. trauma around it, and Shostakovich. Sometimes you hear this very supposedly folksy, happy music. But uh, it, it has a special meaning. And, and like you, you said, like Zach said, it's like, it depends, you know, who you are, when you are, uh, at what point in your life you are. And again, that brings us back to Beethoven because Beethoven speaks to you in the way you need to be, you be, you need to be speak, uh, spoken to, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's something very special. But I would say, and that's the reason I think why I personally uh, like Mahler and Beethoven, Shostakovich the most. Sorry, <laughs> it, it, none of it's because of the profound humanity. Profound humanity. Yeah, yeah, just amazing. Well, let's talk a little bit about Tchaikovsky because uh, we're going to talk with uh, John Kimura Parker, who's a piano soloist for the Tchaik One Piano mm -hmm. Concerto. This is something that everybody knows. Mm -hmm. You know, and the pianist, I love the way that it starts with the pianist just playing those chords, boom, 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 just over and over. That part I can play. The other stuff is a little more difficult. But the melody is in the orchestra, right? And when we were talking about, like, the Mendelssohn Violin Concerto, mm -hmm. for instance, it had kind of a novel entrance. The Piano Concerto of Tchaikovsky has kind of a, a novel entrance True. as well in that the spotlight is on the orchestra to begin with, and then it translates into the piano. Um, you want to take the lead on this, Elaine, because you, sure. you're going to be on the podium. So <laughs> uh, let's talk about the piano concerto in particular. It, well, you know what I found very interesting? It's very technical. I'm going to say it, and you know, you do what you want with it. But it's very interesting that it starts in the 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 minor the relative of the of the piece <laughs> the, yeah. the piece that you know it starts in D flat but oh we're gonna fa re do si yum pam pa and the piece is na da di da di right. so that's also kind of interesting to start that way the big intro you're gonna you know you're thinking this is going to be very very dramatic and the oh la 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 and then boom and then all these arpeggios and my and the hit and the one and then another one the, another yeah. one it's funny that you mentioned also that uh, this is my be the easiest part because a lot of the times I've heard it, none of the times I've conducted it, but a lot of times I heard it in concert. I that's the part the pianist missed the most. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, as yeah. I say, you don't you don't really want to mess up those chords. Well, because... it's a D flat major. Oh, D flat seven. Oh, D flat yeah. augmented. Because yeah. the, the fingers don't. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let's let's say you have your hands full right on, on yeah. that moment, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. But, but this is another one of those pieces that people found unplayable at the beginning. Right, like great right. concertis, great concertis, they advance the the technique, the cause, the musicality, the expression of the instrument. So, like the great composers, they do that, right? They, they, it's not, it's not easy, you know. It pushes the boundaries of it, and then, and and then the instrument as you know, as one step higher on the technical wise. Uh, expression-wise, and this is definitely one of the, it's one of the war horses of, of mm -hmm. all competitions, all yeah. canons, still to this day, right? Mm -hmm. You have this, and you have Prokofiev three, and that's pretty much, and Rock three. And, and Rock three. Yep. They, this is pretty much what people play in the finals. You rarely have a Beethoven four, let's say, but the, which is incredibly beautiful, but just sheer difficulty. But you know what I found really interesting of this is, is who did the premiere? 
Mm. Because you know, it's like nobody wants to play it. Rubenstein said, "No way, I'm playing this." And mm. and, and finally, it was the conductor Hans von Bülow, who was the mm. conductor who conducted all the Wagner music mm. yeah. and was married with Cosima Liszt, mm. which later who became, became Cosima, Cosima Wagner. Wagner. But that's that's yeah. for another another day. But but <laughs> love triangles, <laughs> <laughs> love triangles in classical music, definitely can you, one of our future episodes. Yeah. Can you even imagine the level of talent that was going on? Yeah, I mean the conductor, this conductor comes in, says, "Oh yeah, yeah, okay, I'll do it." And it's like, oh, we're probably very young, right? But not not that much mm. because it, it's the it's it's not. He wasn't 20 years old and going like, oh, I'll do it. No, no, he was in the his prime. Yeah, he was yeah. in his prime. So it's like, wow, you really take a chance there, you know? Yeah. So, no, a lot of people saying, especially the, the person who was dedicated to uh, Rubenstein, not uh, Anton. The, Anton, the, not the, Yeah, from, one, yeah. from the 19th century. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's interesting because most concerti of that, of that stature the person it's written for, they don't want to play it. <laughs> it right. always winds up being somebody else. Yeah. Because it's it's too much, you know? Yeah. But he's stuck by his gun, and that's it. Merlin, you're a violin player. What do you have to say about the uh, piano concerto? Well, it's actually really fascinating because the violins get to play one of the great melodies, and it reminds right. me a little bit of entering an amazing city. Like, you wa- like you have this these gigantic gates, and then these gates open up. You have this gorgeous soaring melody, and then you're plunged into the life of the city. And you never see the gates again. Mm. <laughs> and it's amazing to me that he gives the violins have just one chance to play this gorgeous melody. The pianist takes it once, and then it's it's one of the it's ten gone. best melodies yeah. In, yeah. In, in in the literature. And then and we only get it the one time. It yeah. it, it, it really yeah. stuns me that that's how he chose to well, to, to like, do that concerto. Um, kind of like the beginning of Beethoven's Fifth, you know. It's. The, I would, I'll argue with you about that. To well, me, it's, the, it's the exact opposite of that because you get ev- one, if with Beethoven's Fifth, you get that opening and then it never leaves. It's yeah. always there. You see yeah. it in everything, every single moment. Did you I say see it that. was like it? I meant it was not like it. It was yes, the opposite. Yeah, exactly. Right. But this, this is, it's just so, it's, it's, and it's an, it, it, once you get in, it's an amazing city. Like, it's an amazing concerto, but I've always wondered why he, Cho- never brought that melody back, you know. So yeah, he was a master of making melodies. Mm-hmm. He was lousy at development. You know, he would <laughs> he would stitch together great melodies in all of his music, but yeah. it would just it's one to the next. The, the seams are very would, visible. <laughs> would write all kinds of possibilities and scratch it out until he found the perfect right. one. Yeah. Um, so this was the um. This piece matters to me, and going back to Van Cliburn, because it was the first Toledo Symphony concert I ever saw. It was 1993, 50th anniversary celebration. Van Cliburn came back to play it. And um, my parents had the recording, of course, but um, that was the first LP I ever destroyed by playing it too much. And then I got (laughs) another one, and I destroyed that one. And then I got it on compact disc, and I'd, my mind was blown that it could sound that good because I was just uh-huh. used to degrading an LP version of this. <laughs> and uh, recently I, I reacquired it on vinyl and uh, 
you've come full circle. Right? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm playing the, the heck out of it. Um, but it's uh, it's it, uh, that was for me before I discovered Ch- Shostakovich as a mid teenager. This was the the great discovery as a teenager was just to go on the adventure of the concerto, and yeah. it's a wild ride. There's so many wonderful things that happen in this piece that are just so immediately and immensely enjoyable. Well, a lot of it depends, of course. I mean, it obviously it depends on the orchestra and conductor, but it depends on the pianist. Mm-hmm. And the pianist in question is making their debut, right, with Toledo Symphony. That is John Kimura Parker. Elaine, have you worked with him before? I played Tchaikovsky with him. <laughs> oh, okay. So this many is moons a, ago. No, many yeah. moons ago with the National uh, uh, Art Center Orchestra in Ottawa in Canada. And uh, yeah, we, we haven't played together for quite some time. And uh, but we did, yeah, we did Tchaikovsky together. Well, he's uh, from Canada, right? Yeah, he's from Canada. Yeah. So, uh, and he's from a family of musicians, family of pianists. Ah. <laughs> and I played with the other Parkers <laughs> too. <laughs> so, they're, no, they're quite famous. Well, they're famous around the world. But uh, I'm very, very happy because he is an archetype uh, Tchaikovsky uh, concerto player. So you need to have, it needs to be not hard for you to play those chords. It needs to be not hard for you to have volume mm-hmm. and, and to have this virtuosity. Like it, it has to look and feel easy. So then you can you can really translate the message through it. If you're working, you know, if you because re- it's really hard concerto. If you're really working because on the technical passages, then people don't hear the the melodies through the passage. Mm. So no, he's got, he's perfect for that. That's great. Yeah. That sounds really interesting. Well, we're going to talk with him uh, in a little bit. He's going to call in. But um, before we do that, I do have a quiz. If you guys want to do a quick little quiz. Mm-hmm. Wait, we have a choice? Yeah. Well, no, you don't have a choice. You have a choice <laughs> at any time. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, uh, this quiz is called Here's Jackie. And Jackie oh is, of course, the nickname of John Kimura Parker. He likes to be called Jackie Parker. So this is a quiz about famous Jackies. All right. Oh. Let me pull up uh, some music for you. Okay, question number one, and I'll go through all of these and then we'll go back and answer them. In that 70s show TV series, who played the character of Jackie Burkhart? Was it Mila Kunis, was it Laura Prepon, or Topher Grace? Question number two, what film did Jackie Chan star in with Chris Tucker? Was it Rush Hour, Lethal Weapon, or The Karate Kid? What was the name of Jackie Wilson's signature song? Higher and Higher, Lonely Teardrops, or Reet Petite? A, B, or C. In the Friends TV series, who is the character who is Chandler Bing's father? Was it Jackie Geller, Jackie Tribbiani, or Jackie Bing? If you watch a lot of TV, you do well on this, this quiz. Okay, now we're gonna turn it over to Jackie Robinson. I've got a few different questions that are about Jackie Robinson. Who did he play for? Was it the New York Yankees, the Brooklyn Dodgers, or the Boston Red Sox, A, B, or C? What was Jackie Robinson's uniform number? Was it 34, was it 42, or was it 24? What was the name of Jackie Robinson's wife? Was it Rachel, Sarah, or Mary? And I should mention that she is alive at 100 years old. Wow. wow. Still with us. 
And finally, what was Jackie Robinson's middle name? Was it Roosevelt, Kennedy, or Truman? A, B, or C? Okay, we ready to go back to the beginning? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, we're going anyway. All right. Question one, in that 70s show, Jackie Burkhart was played by A, Mila, Mila Kunis. Yay. Yay. Right? Did you all got you all got that? Okay. Which That's film a did surprising you? one for all of us to have gotten. <laughs> <laughs> it's all downhill from here. Okay, what film did Jackie Chan star in with Chris Tucker? That would be A again, yeah. Rush Hour. Yeah, everybody yeah. got it. So far you all have tied. What was the name of Jackie Wilson's signature song? It was C, Reet Petite. That's quite a voice. If you go back and listen to him, he, he's you know from the same uh, cloth that Elvis was from, okay. that sort of thing. And they were good friends, as a matter of fact. Oh. But uh, incredible voice on Jackie Wilson. That's my tidbit. You know, go go on YouTube and listen to that voice. Amazing. Anyway, back to Ellen, the quiz. Did you get that one? <laughs> of course not. No. I, so, <laughs> so nobody so got. Still tied. We've had identical. Yeah. That's right. Identical scores. Yeah. That's what I get for cheating off of Elaine. <laughs> 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 he always has good scores. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in the Friends I TV d- series, sorry, I'm going on with the quiz. Yes, yes, you yes. had more to say. Yes, absolutely. Go okay. on with the quiz. In the Friends TV series, who is the character who is Chandler Bing's father? The answer was A. Jackie Geller. That was played by Elliot Gould, of all people. Yeah. So nobody got that? Wow, you're still tied. Okay, maybe Jackie Robinson can break the tie. What team did he play for? It was, of course, the Brooklyn Dodgers. None of the above. Montreal. (laughs) Montreal Royals. That's where he started his career. Yeah. (laughs) I knew that was going to come up. I knew it. But but I, I did you get that one? Yeah, I, yeah we all got that B. one. Yeah, yeah, okay, B. so yeah, you're yeah. all still tied. Yeah. What was Jackie Robinson's uniform number? The answer was B forty two. Everybody get that? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh wow, we're still tied. Okay, maybe this will break it. What was the name of Jackie Robinson's wife? Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> Here's to you. Okay, <laughs> that would be Rachel A. Uh, no. Was the answer Rachel? No. Rachel no. Robinson. A professor, a nurse. She's 100 years old now. She's going to be 101 in July. Amazing. Okay, cool. Here's to her. Yeah. Absolutely. And finally, what was Jackie Robinson's middle name? It was A, Roosevelt. (laughs) And he was named after President Roosevelt. President Theodore Roosevelt, I should add. You will need a tiebreaker. Okay, well, the last two questions, I'm not sure on. Who Wait, got the, the we, one about we his had wife? identical scores. Uh, not, not me, I didn't get the last oh, yeah. one. So it's you and Zach. Oh. Uh, well, oh. still. This is the point where if it's down to Merwin and me, I'm just going to quiver and, and, and <laughs> dissolve into the corner here. <laughs> it's all good. We can rock, scissors, paper the thing in the parking lot. It's all <laughs> yeah, Zach, I, I, I should have brought in a tiebreaker question, but it's okay to have a tie. Yeah! I would call it the moral victory, Zach. A moral victory. <laughs> <laughs> the moral victory. The moral you know. Uh, the moral you know. Thank you. <laughs> um, so Monty Python had a great thing about that Tchaikovsky concerto. Do you guys remember this? No. It was on Flying Circus, and it was uh, Sviatoslav Richter playing the Tchaikovsky for his piano concerto while escaping from a burlap bag. And um, it is 
<laughs> one of the I could things. see Richter actually doing that. No, it was, but it was just like this little <laughs> hilarious uh, camera pitched from above. The whole video is about 40 seconds long, and it opens up with a serious announcer saying, and now we shall listen to Sviatoslav Richter play the Tchaikovsky for his piano concerto while escaping from a burlap sack. And it's, you know, you hear the opening. Can and you guys do that for the concert with, <laughs> with Jackie well, Parker? Well, you can, that, that, that can I'll be my question that I'll you can ask him. him. But uh, just, you know, you hear the bum, 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 and then uh, uh, one hand gets free from the burlap bag and starts playing the <laughs> octave. So uh, anyway, just it's like can, a Victor Borga thing. It, it's, it's worthwhile. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So. Well, let's go around the room because we're going to talk or I'm going to talk with uh, Jackie yeah. um, Kimura Parker. Jackie, I almost said Jackie Robinson. <laughs> I'm going to talk with Jackie Robinson. Because I'm going to talk with uh, John Kimura Parker shortly. So I wanted to get your questions for Mr. Parker as we go along, and I think it'd be interesting to see how he answers those. So let's start with you, Merwin. We'll go around the room. What question do you have? I'd love to ask him whether he plays any of the other Tchaikovsky piano concertos. Mm. Oh, good question. Yeah. How many are there? Depends on you count three, (laughs) but... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. What do you say, Elaine? Um, what is his favorite instrument and the choices are trumpet or trombone <laughs> <laughs> these are strangely p- specific is this like Stephen Colbert is saying trombone yeah. is either a great instrument or the greatest <laughs> instrument yeah. okay which is better yeah right trumpet or trombone all right what do you say Zach <laughs> uh, I, I always love asking this question of musical family members um uh, a a moment of chamber music that he might have played with his family. What what sticks out as a memory? Before we talk with John Camore Parker, we'll we'll turn the floor over to you, Merwin, because I know you want to talk a little bit more about Shostakovich. Well, it's one of those things where it's kind of like the same thing with Beethoven's Fifth. It's very. It's almost not cool to say the Shostakovich Fifth is your favorite of his symphonies because it certainly wasn't Shostakovich's favorite of his mm-hmm. symphonies. But I mean, I think, and I used to keep trying to come up with other reasons why I loved other symphonies as much, but gosh darn it, the fifth is my favorite. It's so much fun mm. to play. It's so rewarding. It is so perfectly orchestrated and he stretches the orchestra in just absolutely the perfect way. And and I I cannot wait to perform this in in the hall because it's it is interesting, Alain. You mentioned how the, kind of the early Shostakovich in a way was maybe because it was unfiltered or un, un it was kind of the most genuine mm. Shostakovich. But for me, the most genuine Shostakovich is when he was torn, yeah. like between these different, like always having to answer to multiple masters. Mm. I think and. For me, this it, this period of Shostakovich is him at his most Shostakovichian, <laughs> I guess. And True. I mean, when I was, I, I mean, when I was doing summer festivals at the museum, the very first one I was doing was doing all of the Shostakovich string quartets in a marathon. Yeah. And there's something about middle period Shostakovich, which is, I mean, it's just so incredibly satisfying to play. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to share it. 
Is there a symphony, I'm sorry, is there a string quartet that aligns with this symphony for you and where the symphony takes you, that quartet does too? I think that what's very interesting is that um, the fifth symphony is almost operatic mm-hmm. in that you're having, uh, you almost see a hero um, going through something extraordinarily dramatic in real time. And I think the opera the i'm sorry i I think the string quartets are almost more like song cycles Mm -hmm. they're very intimate they're very they're almost more for the players than for the audience in some ways oh they're pretty good for the audience they're pretty good for the audience um (laughs) i think um but uh i in a way i think that they're 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 two sides of the same coin i guess but but the the string quartets are very very personal and maybe a little bit more raw a little more vulnerable got it mm. got it this has been the work that has been on almost every season <laughs> that we've sketched out together yeah. and you finally get to do it uh yeah. this what is your shasti five why is this so exciting for you to finally get to do it uh there are two things well first of all you know it's uh it's music that speaks to me and I'm sure will speak to everybody in the audience. And also it's uh, hopefully speaks to everybody so that we can present more of his symphonies as we, we go along uh, because it's a human experience. And I, I really think that uh, the concert, the music and the concert, like the musical aspect, the notes are a pretext for uh, sharing a human experience. So that's, that's what I'm all about. And uh, it's very important for me to find works that that translate that and this is one of the the works that translated the the most so the concert is uh, friday and saturday april 14th and 15th at the toledo museum of art paris style happening at eight o'clock p.m music of tchaikovsky as well as shostakovich we've been talking all about that and we'll continue to talk about it in the near future that concert conducted by elaine trudell with piano soloist john kimura parker So now I have the pleasure of talking with the pianist John Kimura Parker, who's joined me by phone to talk about his concert that we've been talking about today. It's uh, music of Dmitry Shostakovich, but also Pyotr Tchaikovsky's very first piano concerto, which we all know and all love. John will be here Friday and Saturday. It's April 14th and 15th at 8 o'clock p.m. At the Toledo Museum of Art Paris Style, you can find more information at ToledoSymphony.com. Also call their box office if you prefer that. It is at 419-246-8000. John Kimura Parker, hello and welcome. Hi, how are you? Uh, Very well, thank you. Um, We're looking forward to having you here in Toledo over the weekend. You're bringing with you that uh, Tchaikovsky Piano Concerto Number no. 1, which Elaine Trudell, the conductor, told me that you've done together before, a long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago in, uh, in Canada. Um, and I'm just so thrilled that we are going to be able to play together again. I mean, I'm super excited. It, it's, to, to me, the Tchaikovsky Piano Concerto um, is it's kind of a perfect piano concerto you know it showcases the the piano in the way that it should with 
brilliant octave passages and cadenzas and all that fun stuff that you you want to hear in a piano concerto. But uh, but it also showcases the orchestra and there's a beautiful melody that opens the second movement and and other you know searing themes throughout. Um, it's it's such a special piece of music and um, you may know and and some of your listeners may know that it just had the worst possible initial reception when uh, Tchaikovsky played it through for a friend um, who basically said it was a disaster and it should never, you know, see the light of day. You know? Yeah. And he did make a couple of revisions, which which were good ones. But, uh, and this is also a piece that um, in a, a certain sense uh, has become, uh, I mean, it's it's become... Uh, a piece that's very much associated with uh, symphonic uh, repertoire and symphonic playing, specifically in the United States. I mean, this piece actually had its world premiere in Boston. Yeah. So, you know, it, and and uh, to me, it's just it's just such, such stunning music. Well, that grand opening is familiar to folks when they hear it. The the piano playing the the chords, the arpeggios over the orchestra, which has this kind of sweeping melody. Tchaikovsky yeah. was certainly a, a, certainly a melodist, you know, as far as composers go. But I mentioned that, you know, that seemed a pretty simple thing to do, a pretty simple entrance for the piano. And Elaine Trudell pointed out that the only time that he's heard pianists mess up is during those first chords. I'm wondering what... <laughs> What, what is your inspiration or what has your experience been with playing this concerto? I mean, what what part do you have to watch out for while you're performing it? Well, actually, a lot of different kinds of things are, are really critically important, uh, including the ability to accompany the orchestra while playing theoretically louder. Uh, you know, we think of accompanying as something that, that's done fairly quietly and to try to not to be in the way, but that opening is a classic example. It's like the world's loudest accompaniment, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, the orchestra's got the tune. And what's great about those chords is basically what Tchaikovsky's doing is letting the pianist showcase the range of the piano immediately. You know, so um, after we hear the horns in the opening, when the piano comes in, uh, I play almost the lowest possible octave uh, in the first chord, and then in the third chord, I'm playing the highest possible octave on the piano, and it continues throughout. So it's really showing the range of the instrument. The yeah. next thing that happens is uh, he immediately has the orchestra stop, and the pianist goes into a solo cadenza. And to have that cadenza so early, I mean, there's another longer traditional placement cadenza near the end of the first movement, but but to have to have this so early really just establishes the the, the sort of heroic element of the piano soloist versus orchestra. You know, I, I, I once made a recording, uh, a PDQ Bach recording, and it was called Two Pianos Versus Orchestra. <laughs> yeah, I, I've played it on the radio, as a matter of fact. Yeah, Yeah. okay. I mean, sometimes a, a, a piano concerto is meant to have that kind of quality. I, you know, I think of I think of the sort of virtuoso concerto um, uh, as... You know, in it, like you know, we have so many from Germanic composers and Russian composers, and I, I often think of that kind of writing uh, as a little bit like a feature film, you know, like mm -hmm. or or like specifically like an action film, you know, because if you go to an action movie, there, there's hopefully a, a, a reasonably believable plot going on, and then but then all of a sudden everything grinds to a standstill while there's a car chase or something, right? And 
it's a little bit like that in concerto sometimes. You know, the, this, this cadenza will just happen, and it's brilliant and showy. May or may not be advancing the musical plot, but, uh, but it's, it's a lot of fun to watch and listen to. I asked our panel to uh, provide three different questions, one question each that they were interested in having you answer. And the first one that I want to talk about came from Marwan Sue, who is uh, principal second violin. He's also the artistic administrator, so he may have been, you know, in contact with you about this this concert. But um, his question was, if you play any of the other piano concertos by Tchaikovsky. I, I do not. Um, there is a very substantial Tchaikovsky piano concerto number two. Um, when people see Tchaikovsky piano concerto on a program, they know what they're getting. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then if, if somebody shows up and plays number two, then they, they realize that they were wrong. And, they, <laughs> and it's, always a little, it's always a little disappointing. And I've never been one to want to disappoint anybody. So I, it, it, the second concerto is also a massive work um, and, and has glorious uh, music in it. But I've just never quite been as fond of it, and and it's just never entered my repertoire. And there are a few other shorter things, and I don't play those either. Honestly, for the, I don't know, couple of hundred times maybe that I've played the Tchaikovsky Piano Concerto, there's very little else of Tchaikovsky in my repertoire except for the trio, the piano, violin, and cello trio, which yeah. is another, you know, absolutely enormous work. But I don't play any of the solo pieces or, or anything like that. I just love listening to Tchaikovsky. I, l- I love the symphonies. I love the ballet music. It's just, it's, you know, magical. Yeah. And a lot of it has been transported to piano or piano duo, what have you. I know that Tchaikovsky right. made some of his own transcriptions of uh, some of his works for piano as well. Oh, yeah. And there's some very effective ones, yeah. Yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. You grew up in a classical music family. You know, you you were exposed to it at a very early age. There was there was an upright piano in the house. My my mom, uh, who's Japanese, uh, was an active piano teacher at that time, and I uh, just grew up listening to to the piano. But uh, the moment that my parents thought I might have musical talent, specifically, was when I was three. And there was a, um, a radio show that they listened to um, every day of the week on, on CBC radio. And, uh, and one day I walked up to the upright piano and started with one finger poking out the theme music from the show. Hmm. Um, and so they thought, oh, well, he's pretty clearly got an ear yeah. to start piano lessons, you know. And, and I just took to it so, like, I mean, I remember in first grade, you know, the teacher asking everybody what they wanted to be when they grew up. And it was for the boys in my class, it was about half and half between a hockey player or a fireman. Um, and I said, I'm going to be a concert pianist. And, you know, I was, I was clear. I was a hundred percent. There was no debate. And, uh, and I just kept pursuing that uh, growing up. And I was very lucky uh, to grow up in, in a, musical environment, both in terms of my family, but also the city of Vancouver has always been a, a strong musical city. I had, I had fantastic teachers and just really great training all, all, all the way through. So, but I just never stopped having that feeling. Like I just love to play the piano and love to make music. And in high school, when, you know, for me, I, I, I was socially awkward in high school. And then I you know, started listening to rock and roll and I realized that I could sit down at the piano and play Benny and the Jets, or I could I could I could play anything of of Elton John or Billy Joel or or what have you, um, and 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 that was my sort of entree to meeting people, you know. So yeah. I just 
sit sit down at the upright in the school cafeteria and start pounding out rock and roll. And, you know, I love that too. And I played a lot of jazz as a kind of a hobby. And, but it's just music. I mean, music is so, um, it's so important for, for all of us as a, as a, just a, a part of the human condition and, and such a natural part of all of us. I mean, we have the capacity to sing and, uh, and that's just always meant more to me than anything. Yeah. Now you grew up with other pianists in your family, right? I mean, you're, you're, yeah, yeah. My, my brother, Jamie, uh, I go by Jackie as a nickname, but, but, but I'm uh, officially John and my brother, Jamie is, a pianist who uh, is in the Griffin Trio. He's also the uh, chair of the piano department at the University of Toronto. And we have a sister, Liz, who studied the piano and, and still teaches piano. We have a cousin, Ian, who is a concert pianist. Wow. And yeah, so there's, <laughs> there's a ton of pianos. A lot of there. pianos there. Did, did you all yeah. play uh, duets or chamber music together yeah, growing we up? Did. We actually played a lot together, and, and Jamie and me, who are the closest in age, uh, would accompany each other, uh, you know, practicing concertos. One of us would play the uh, orchestral reduction on the second piano. And yeah, we did a lot of that. Yeah, that was one of the questions that uh, Zach Vassar wanted to know if you had that experience. It sounds like a, a great way to grow up, uh, you know, being a classical music fan myself. Um, mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, the final question came from the conductor, Elaine Trudell, and, you mm-hmm. know, kind of tongue-in-cheek, but he was asking if you had to choose <laughs> between the trumpet mm-hmm. and the trombone, which instrument do you prefer? Oh, gee, is, that's not even remotely a loaded question, is it? That's coming, from, <laughs> coming from such a great trombone player. <laughs> exactly. So, I, I, actually, the fact is, and I, I, I may not have uh, uh, told Elaine this the last time that, that, that we worked together, but I actually played trombone in my high school band oh. um, very, very badly. And um, however, I was the only one in the I was the only one in the trombone section who could read music. So uh, the, the rest of them were just completely faking it. So I, I you know, if I would push out the slide, they would all do the same, even if they had different parts. They just thought <laughs> it looked better, you know. And I mean, it was a horrible band, but. Uh, I yeah, so so I have I have trombone experience, and I definitely prefer that voice. Uh, in if if I were to try to play either instrument, I think the trumpet would be just about impossible for me. But the trombone, I, I could probably, with a little practice, still manage to make a sound. You know, as as displeasing as it was, you know, mm-hmm. uh, forty five years ago. <laughs> Uh, we're we're not going to hear you play the trombone, unfortunately. I sure hope not. <laughs> <laughs> definitely don't want to. John Kimura Parker is my uh, guest today on Toledo Symphony Lab. He is a wonderful pianist, and you have a chance to see him in person, live. That's happening this Friday and Saturday, April 14th and 15th. The Piano Concerto Number no. 1 of Pyotr Tchaikovsky. It's at the Toledo Museum of Art Paris Style, 8 o'clock p.m. both nights. And you can find more information at ToledoSymphony.com or 419-246-8000. John Kimura Parker, if folks want to find more information about you, you have uh, an online presence? I do, uh, in several places, but John, spelled J-O-N, Kimura, K-I-M-U-R-A, Parker.com. Uh, and that has my concert schedule and all sorts of other fun stuff. Great. And uh, I, w- I will say one last thing, that if anybody's listening right now and they're thinking, I just don't know, I, I haven't been to a symphony concert in a long time, and do I need to put on a suit? And I, I would just say, come to this concert, because it will just blow your mind. I mean, the Tchaikovsky is 
an iconic and exciting piano concerto, but the Shostakovich also, what a colorful, incredibly powerful piece of, of orchestral music. I mean, really showing off the whole symphony. So, so this, is a, this is a win-win concert. Absolutely. John Kimura Parker, thank you so much for talking with us today. We look forward to having you here in Toledo. Thanks so much. This program is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony, with generous support from the Rita Barber Kern Foundation. You can download episodes of this program as a podcast by going to our website at wgte.org lab. You can also subscribe to us through your podcast app of choice, including Apple, Google, and Spotify podcasts. And don't forget to check out all the upcoming events at the Symphony by visiting their website at ToledoSymphony.com and their various social media outlets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find the TSO streaming platform online at stream.artstoledo.com. My thanks to Zach Vasser, Elaine Trudell, Merwin Sue, and our special guest by phone, John Kimur Parker. I'm Brad Cresswell. This has been Toledo Symphony Lab from FM91.